Welcome into the Grabbing the Brisket podcast, guys. Hey, I'm, I'm super excited. I'm super stoked to have a uh, special guest, Brandon. Well, actually, I should say Chef Brandon Dearden. Lucky enough to get him onto the show, and so we can sit here and talk a little bit of uh, cooking and barbecue and whatever else we can uh, we can talk about. Are, 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 are we pronouncing that, that last name correct? Yeah, yeah, 100% right. Okay, I mean, it's like 50-50, right? So we're like, okay, let's go with the way it sounds. Let's just say it this way. Yeah. So you never know. Like, most time, we are not, we're not right when we say this. So, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Um, so, so what's been up, Chef? Well, nothing much. I, I'm just, like, super stoked that um, I'm able to be on this podcast because, believe it or not, deep down in my soul, I have a passion for barbecue, like real authentic barbecue. You know what I mean? And uh, I feel like as an American and being in America, I think it's like the only thing we have culinary wise is, is like, you know, low and slow barbecue. And also like, I would say Cajun cuisine, but, um, you know, I'm just infatuated with, you know, cooking over the fire. So I'm really, I'm really excited to be on this podcast. And honestly, I can't wait to talk barbecue and, uh, believe it or not, I just, I just recently got an offset smoker. So I'm super excited to use that. Hey, nice. That's awesome. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. What kind of smoker did you get? So I'm not gonna lie. I went with the beginner one. I was uh, I didn't want to drop like a thousand or twelve hundred bucks on it. Like uh, I wanted the Brazos, but I went with just the regular Oklahoma Joe. It's like the step up from the cheapest one, but not enough to break the bank. Hey, uh, <laughs> I think yes. you got the same one I got. We yeah. we actually yeah. had Oklahoma Joe on the show about a month ago. Yes, yes. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so and so you know what? Like I all I did was just kind of mod it out a little bit. I put some clamps on it, some gaskets. Um, I feel really good about it. I, I mean, it's a good beginner offset. And you know what? I, I would argue that it's a lot harder to manage the fire in a smaller offset like that opposed to a bigger one. I felt like it was so much easier on the on the larger offset, like the 500-gallon one. Like, I, I just feel like it was easier. I mean, I don't know if you got – I mean, I saw your smoker. Your smoker's pretty legit. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I would probably agree with you a little bit just because those smaller ones, you know, you're using smaller splits. Um, hopefully, if not, you're, you're getting – crazy swings in temperatures uh, but for the 500 yeah. gallon smokers once you get those things to temperature usually they're built of a thicker gauge of metal but but once they get to temperature sure. those things like you're feeding you know a log every 30 45 minutes right or an hour you're just adding one log and closing it up and you're going about yeah. your day you know right. versus the, the smaller pit um you know matt matt i think matt said y'all had the same sounds, sounds like y'all have the same pick because he, he has the oklahoma joe which he just got and man we've oh, had nice. some We've had some awesome brisket, ribs, chickens. I mean, you name it. He smoked everything on that damn thing, and that's uh, great. You can't tell the. I mean, you can't tell the difference on any other smoker. Yeah, as long as you- and one of the things that Chef was saying is like, when you're managing the fire on that small ones, like you you have like two chunks of wood, and you need to add more wood, but you're 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 on the, almost kind of the down slope. Like if you see the temperature going down a little bit, and like man, just add another log to it, and then you add another log to it, and it's like spikes that. Sp- fire like you know up to like 400 degrees you're like right. oh crap what do we do now so you, yeah now you just got to ride through you know, it right you know i don't know if anybody's ever done this but you know what really worked for me and i'm you know I, I don't know if this is a common practice but you know what i did is i set up a fire pit next to it and then i have wood logs burning and then basically i'm using a little mix of both so i'm throwing in some fresh wood but i'm also using the wood that's burned down the coal as well but like I'm fanning it so it's they're almost like red em- embers, mm-hmm. and then I'm tossing that in to maintain the heat, and that worked really well for me. The first time I lit it up, I was really like just trying to figure out how the fire was going to work. I, I've had some op- open fire cooking um, experience working at Saison here in San Francisco, but um, it's nothing like 
controlling an offset. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. <laughs> like we're literally like grilling over like wood. And um, so it was really cool. But I mean, that really worked for me. And I think I'm going to continue to try to figure out how to, um, you know, optimize the heat. Because the thing is, is I'm a little scared to throw a whole brisket on there to like, you know, cook for an extended period of time. I just did spare ribs. I did a chicken and I did, I actually put a side of salmon on it, which, which worked out pretty well. But it was really nice. That's yeah, awesome. you know, I I don't think I, don't be afraid of the brisket. I mean, especially on a pit that you're going to hopefully you're going to wrap. You know, at some point into it, five maybe say five hours, six hours into it, you're going to wrap it up. Um, you know, whether it be butcher paper or tinfoil, it's definitely going to speed that process. I would not be afraid of the of the brisket on that thing uh, one bit. Um, I do love the okay. fact that, that you're going with the 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 burnt. Uh, wood or, or the coals, the, the embers. separate coals. Going. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That, that, yeah, the coals. Yeah, that that's a huge method used by a lot of pitmasters. Yeah, uh, reminds me of uh, Rodney States. Scott when yeah. we had him on. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, yeah. mm-hmm. ah. that's what that's what okay, he does. Yep. Yeah, you, you know what? Because like, uh, so here's the thing: in at Saison, San Francisco, um, it's only wood fire cooking. And basically, what we would do, so we didn't have the because the what, what was not allowed was the acrid smoke, that white smoke. And so we would literally like be burning logs and then we would get it down to coals and then we'd fan it and then boom, we would scoop it over. And that's what we would use to cook. And like the flavor that you get from that opposed to the white smoke is just, I mean, it's, it's night and day difference. But also what I'm interested in is kind of figuring out how to make my own charcoal. I think this would be cool. You know, if you could literally make your own charcoal from the actual wood by like cooking it in a non in a non oxygen environment. Yep. Uh, you know, that's just the that's just the chef side of me thinking. I don't know if I could set that up here in my little uh, house <laughs> in Silicon Valley, but right. I think it'd be cool to check it out. It it, it is. I've I've watched the process on that. Um and the yield um it's like is that a lot of work for not a lot of Yeah, yeah, you you <laughs> don't get a lot of yield out of that. I think trying to make your own lump uh, charcoal. I I think when they yeah. start off with like say you had like a quart of a quart of wood your your yield may be like it's it's got to be less than half at that point or maybe right at half because right. a lot's going to burn up or whatever else um and i know there's controlled ways of doing it that they do like in the factories mm-hmm. and plants and whatever else up there it's, it's kind of a slower uh, i guess you're right it is it is a a, a an oxygen deprived still be fun to try burn, them. Uh, for sure yeah well yeah. the reason why i think it would be cool is because then you can control the size of the wood right so like i think the problem that i was running into and like i like to use lump charcoal as like a starter right mm-hmm. just to get it get it going but like you know there's so many odds and ends pieces you know what i'm saying and it's like man i wonder if i could like make my own so i'm not getting like a whole bunch of shake but i don't know it's just something i was thinking about i thought it'd be cool no but it's like that, yeah go ahead that, that that's it that's actually a great idea uh if you get a chance check out uh fogo uh charcoal they make a a, a charcoal that is their it's their premium so they have a normal blend that you kind of, you're kind of probably used to seeing that other other places have B and B charcoal or medium sized chunks, small egg, chunks, right? But the this, the premium charcoal they have it's you get larger chunks. They're probably the size of two base or two softballs, a little more maybe. uniform too. Oh, yep. So you, yeah, that'd be. I guess that's what I'm looking for. I'm I'm looking for the uniform. I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of briquettes so much as lump charcoal, but you know I I, don't, I wouldn't want to. I, I think I'm looking for that uniform size. Yeah, that's a good point. Fogo charcoal. How do you spell that? F O G O. Yep, that's yep. it. Yep. I think it's okay. a X L premium. Yeah, X L premium. X L premium. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Awesome. So, do you do you want me to uh, just give give a rundown for the people that don't know, like my you know that don't have 
an idea of like my history or anything like that. Absolutely. I literally just fixing to ask you that. <laughs> yeah. So so basically, all right. So for everybody that's listening, I'm really appreciate being on this podcast. I'm uh, basically I'm a chef, and I've been in the restaurant business for 20 plus years. And I'm and I know that sounds crazy, but I'm only 35 years old. But I started when I was really young. So at the age of 14 is when I started working professionally in a kitchen. Nice. I would see, you know, I would visit my father on the weekends. He was a bartender slash manager in a little old diner. And of course, me being a little kid I am, I sat in the office until he got off the shift. But I was always so intrigued with how the cooks like were screaming at each other. There was flames. <laughs> they're, you know, they're, they're putting food up. They're cooking like, you know, and everybody respected the chefs and the cooks. And I thought it was so cool. And it really like sparked a fire under my butt. And um, although I couldn't start in the kitchen, I started in the restaurant very early, busting tables, um, you know, being a dishwasher first. And then I remember, I'll just jump ahead a little bit. I, I remember telling my father at 16, I wanted to be a chef. And, uh, and it was funny. I never looked back, never even considered doing anything else. So by the time I was 16, I was already cooking. And um, I actually moved down to Florida, from D.C. to Florida. And I st uh, was working in the restaurant all throughout high school. And then I finally went to culinary school. And uh, I got a dual associates in culinary and baking and pastry. And um, then from there, I did an apprenticeship, I would call it, at the Breakers Resort on Palm Beach. I had the opportunity to... Um, to cook at uh, with a bunch of high-level chefs, including Daniel Blue, Charlie Palmer, um, Wolfgang Puck was just recently, obviously Saison, and then also I worked at Alinea in Chicago. So I've been all around the United States, Florida, DC, New York, um, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Chicago, and now San Francisco Bay Area. I've been um, a chef for about 10 of those 20 years, but um, ultimately I've, I've never even considered looking at anything else <laughs> well except for being a father and a husband you know that i wouldn't really count that as a job but yeah i've just been cooking at a high level for that long and right now i think the reason why um uh what's really big is you know last year obviously covid took the restaurant um the restaurant by all restaurants pretty much swiped the legs from out from other under them especially here in yeah. california mm -hmm. it's really tough and what i realized is that you know i can't i can't depend on anybody else except for myself to you know be able to support my family right so it really pushed me into the idea of creating a personal brand like i've always wanted to create a personal brand but you know last year it kind of like just struck me especially um you know towards the end of the year so i was like you know what i'm gonna start i'm gonna start social media i'm gonna start TikTok. and uh even though i got made fun of and ridiculed <laughs> you know they're not nobody's paying my bills okay right. and it's and it's great so i started a TikTok account and, you know, I just started feeling it out, you know, and, and keep in mind, I'm not a photographer or cinematographer, and I'm not really good with a camera in general, but I do know one thing. I know how to cook. <laughs> and I know I have value to bring to, especially the younger generation of cook, and, um, you know, just in general of cooking tips. And there is this new breed of home cook and home chefs. And, you know, I've, I've really been able to bring value to the home chef. And I think that is my niche and that's what I'm, that, or I should say niche. And uh, that's, that's what I've been doing. And so I've started TikTok and I've, you know, I've gained quite the following and I'm still, you know, climbing and I'm, uh, I'm very happy with what I'm doing. And I'm uh, super happy to just be being able to offer my services at no cost, just making videos <laughs> for free to the younger generation of chefs. I think it's my due diligence as a chef to keep my knowledge. I have to give it away. I have to teach. I have to 
um, you know, really help this younger generation of chef coming up. And that's my story in a nutshell. Nice. Nice. I, I love that. I, you could not be more, more right on, on this new, I, I, it's like this revolution of, of just because of, of social media and YouTube and these different platforms, right? TikTok that you see these home chefs that are, are coming up with very unique, uh, kitchen, you know, um, dishes, right? Uh, and then, mm-hmm. and then also at the same time, you, you, you can watch a video and see like, okay, they're, it's, it's a great, great, I guess, uh, premise or great idea of what they're trying to put together, but maybe they didn't execute it really well or whatever the case may be. Um, and for you to turn around and go, you know what? I, I can help that person out with, yeah. with, with, with what they're doing. And I'm sure plenty of people are, are, are tagging you going, Hey, how do you do this? Or what's your thought on this? Or, or, or the case may be, I, I, I absolutely love that. That's, that's so cool. Yeah. And you know, the, the biggest thing is, is like, you know, I'm not going to lie. Like I try to tell, it's funny because uh, I was just having this conversation with somebody the other day who has been literally on TikTok since, uh, you know, probably like six to, six to seven months. And, and it was so funny because he was talking about how this other sh- uh, chef on TikTok literally just blew up out of nowhere. Like, I mean, literally the guy has more followers than I do. And it's so funny because I'm like, listen, focus on yourself. Yeah. Don't worry about what anybody else is doing. You can't be upset. Like a good example. My good friends, that dude can cook. Albert can cook. Woodfire whiskey. They all have more followers than me. You know what I mean? But they respect me as a chef. You know, and they ask me questions as a chef. Oh, how should I prepare this? And I think what's really important is not to get caught up with the Joneses, you know, like not to get caught up in other people's business. And there's enough um, opportunity for everybody out here, whether you're in uh, home improvement, whether you're in being a nanny, whether you're being a, a plumber, whatever it is, barbecuing, everybody has something to offer. And nowadays with social media, you can tell your unique story and be able to make a living off of it. Like I've seen it firsthand. It's amazing. And I try to tell all my chef friends, see, the thing is, is the reason why you don't see chefs like me on TikTok is because we all have too much pride. <laughs> we have, we like to stay in our restaurants and behind the stove. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, just in the last 10 years, c- celebrity chef is, in, it's a thing with Gordon Ramsay, Emeril Lagasse, um, you know, all these celebrity chefs are coming out. I'm telling you, it is cool. Like chefs are like rock stars now. And let me tell you something, when I was first in this industry, it was not like that, you know, in, in my parents' eyes, you know, they supported me, of course, but, you know, I, I'm going to be honest. My grandparents were like, why do you want to cook? Like cooking is for, you know, it, it's like, I don't want to say it, you know, but like it's for like lower class, you know what I'm saying? Like not blue collar, but you know, it's, it's like, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to say something incorrect here, but it's not what they had in future for me, but I'll right. tell you what, I stuck with it and I love it. And, and now you see it, it's different. Chefs have become celebrities and they're the face of restaurants. And they are the face of investment groups. You know, it's just like, it's, it's awesome how this has transpired, you know, and especially nowadays where a lot of more people are cooking at home. So they're really interested with on how to make things at a restaurant level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you hit it on the head. I mean, you're, you're creating a brand. I mean, it, I mean, all these, all these chefs out there, I mean, um, the, the ones you named, I mean, it, it's an actual brand uh, that, that these investment firms and people they can get behind of and, create these sure. restaurants and create these products and, and stuff like that. Uh, I have to say, I, I love your videos. I, I love the, the, the personality and I, I love the kind of just the funness that you put in some of the videos and the little tips and tricks that you put out there. Oh, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I see it all over TikTok where people, you know, Oh, these are hacks like, um, you know, freaking TikTok hacks or whatever it is. But, and it's actually yeah. like people with like real skills understand, 
okay, it's easier if you do it this way. And then they put it out there and people like me have never even seen that in my life. I'm like, Holy right. crap. I've never even seen that before. <laughs> what is happening yeah. here? Uh, but yeah, I know. Hey, I love it. That's great. That's great. And you know, I really like making videos like that. And I think it's so funny because like a lot of people just look for the drama. That's why I kind of stopped doing the, uh, the hashtag chef authorized because you know, it just bring, like people want me to sit there and wreck other people like Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just I'm just not into that. You know, and the, and the reason why I say that is because, listen, Gordon Ramsay is honestly behind the scenes. He's a great chef. He I know. Look, as a chef, I know Gordon Ramsay as the chef that worked with Marco Pierre White, who is a very well-known chef over in e- England. And, uh, you know, he has he has three Michelin stars. He has a couple other Michelin star restaurants. But everybody else knows him as the person that screams at other people. And that's his legacy, whether he likes it or not. And it's unfortunate. And it's like, I do not want people to associate with me, me with that. And it's like, I, I feel bad. But what people don't realize is Chef Gordon is he's not even in the restaurant anymore. He's not cooking. Okay. He's a restaurateur now. He does like, he's barely ever in the kitchen. I mean, he doesn't even do his own cooking videos. He just does the voiceover. And it's like, I want, I tell people, let him live his life. Don't. Don't ask me to be like him. Trust me, I do not want that. You know, and it's it's crazy, but you know that's that's the way it is. People on TikTok like drama. So wait, so you, I totally agree with you. But you're you're in your kitchens and you're not screaming at the people in there with you. Like sometimes, just like you a know, little bit. So so here's the thing. Um, you know, I used to be like that when I came when especially when I came out of the three Michelin star restaurant. I was a I was so arrogant and so egotistical. It was unbelievable. I couldn't even wrap my head around. Like I, I look at like pictures and I actually have a YouTube video um, and it's crazy because I'm so embarrassed. But um, yes, I used to be like that. And then the thing is, is um, what ended up happening, especially with this new day and age is, you, you know, people don't take that. They don't take it anymore. You know what I mean? Like they do not take negative feedback very like, you know, very good. And for me growing up, I took it like a champ, you know, especially being an American, working with French chefs, French chefs are evil. man. They will, they will get you. But I learned a lot. But nowadays, I think times are, have changed. And what I've learned is that I can get the same result with treating people differently. And uh, so that's that's what I'm pretty that's what I'm pretty much about nowadays, especially now in, t- in 2021. You can't get away with screaming at people anymore. But also you got to take in consideration the reality TV shows. You know, they put those scenes together for that type of reaction. You yeah, that's, uh, that's almost like clickbait, right? They, they want you yeah. to, so, to tune in and, so, and whatever. Yeah. You know, he, so living in LA for four years, it's funny because like the, I know I knew the lawyer of the producers of Hell's Kitchen and basically all the people that they bring on there, they're no talent, zero, zero talent whatsoever. They want you know them to screw saying? up. Yeah. There's like, they're like, they're, they're not high level chefs. They are, you know, chefs, they're cooks that aren't working at a high level, but they put them on that show to create that environment. They're like and uh, I hate to say, it. yeah, it's, <laughs> they're, they're working it's the at a Denny's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, uh, which there's wrong. nothing wrong with yeah, that. But Denny's is just... great. Love Denny's Grand Slam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. This is this so is a true story. The Grand Slam is very good. <laughs> now, yeah, so I what do you? So I I, I was going to ask you. It's one of the questions. So obviously, you did train some French chefs and and whatever else. But what what is the? And hopefully, it's not the screaming and yelling. But is that the? You know. I guess is that is that how you would say like most of your uh, Michelin star chefs you taught are under is that how they mostly were or is, is there a one common theme for all of them? Is it yeah uh, just very just meticulous? Is it just very touching a detail? Is is like 
no matter what, it's going to be the way they want it, and there's no sacrifice. Or I don't know. I'm just kind of kind of curious about that because you have been in those kitchens and under the heats. I guess you could say uh, with, with that type of caliber. And and I guess that's yeah. is, that's what made you the caliber you are now. Or yeah, is that- I, I would I would agree with that. I would agree with that 100. percent Especially working at that high level, there's no there is like perfection is what is happening. Like I'll, I'll be honest, when I worked in Chicago, I'm telling you right now. Like the president could have been assassinated and I wouldn't have never known because I was so committed to that restaurant. And so like you're so like there's nothing else that's more important than making sure your station is set up and you're or else you get screamed at. And listen, the thing is, is as I grew up in that, I knew that, OK, I don't want to be this type of chef because I can get the same job done without belittling somebody. But yes, that's how most of the Michelin places are you know it's that behavior is you know it, it's condoned and, and unfortunately um you know it's not right but that is starting to change a lot nice nice so what's the uh what's what's the one thing i think uh if, if you could if you could have uh i guess a um one dish that you have to make uh like like signature dish signature dish or favorite yeah, dish favorite yeah. that you had you had to recreate this is like your your go-to what what, what would it be so my actually my signature dish is a 72 hour short rib with kimchi and black garlic and believe it or not this short rib is bone-in that is cooked for 72 hours but at 135 degrees so it's a low enough temperature to keep it mid-rare but it's long enough to break down the connective tissues in the short rib and i perfected this dish over the years and i'll tell you what it's it's always a home run there's not one person that i've met that does not like it. And it's, and it's crazy because it's kind of the dish that I was coined with. And it's not even my technique, to be honest. Um, the first time I had it was in D.C. at this restaurant called Citronelle. And I was blown away by the cooking technique sous vide. And uh, from so blown away that I actually have it tattooed on my arm. Nice. <laughs> wow. so, That's yeah, awesome. Super, super committed. But, yeah, that is my one dish that I will, like, a good example. If I were to make a tasting menu, that would be, the, that would be one of the entree courses. Well, it sounds awesome. Yeah, can you imagine are you, uh, like, every you... day having to start a new seven ribs? Yeah, or short ribs? Yeah, I mean, like... I mean, listen, it, you know, it is a commitment, and honestly, I, I feel like you could get away with the forty-eight hour uh, short rib, but it's not cool. It's not cool, you know. Like when somebody thinks seventy-two hours, they're like, "What? That's crazy!" And it's it creates such a story. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's, it's amazing to me how the texture changes. And it's the only way you can achieve that certain texture. And, I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. But you're right. If you have to start it, if you have to do it multiple times a week, it's, it's kind of, like, counterintuitive. And I'll be honest, you can get away with a, you know, like a, a two-day short rib or a 24-hour short rib. And it, it could be equally just as good. It just won't be that bright pink mid-rare that we look yeah. for. Right, right. Are, are you sous vide the, the short rib? Yes. Okay. So the 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 short rib would be sous vide for seventy two hours at a hundred. It's like one hundred thirty four point five degrees, and it okay. comes out really nice. Nice. Okay. Well, to try that. Matt's ears kind of perked up a little bit because uh, he's our resident like uh, um, sous vide person. Sous vide person on the <laughs> on the podcast. So yeah, uh, definitely. That, I think that's something that's probably going to be in our future here. Yeah. I mean, listen. I, I got to be honest. See, when I learned sous vide back in like 2009, 2010, I'm telling you, it wasn't even popular. People were looking down on it. They were like, why are you cooking in plastic? That makes no sense. 
believe it or not, the hotel that I worked in, I got a, I bought a circulator for Christmas. This was back when they were super expensive, like $1,200 expensive. Right. And I saved up my money and I got one. And I was, um, you know, I was, I was, I don't know if I was a sous chef or a junior sous chef at the time, but I was long enough there that I could help uh, be a part of the dishes. And this was in the Breakers Resort. It was a five star, five diamond uh, restaurant. And I remember we started, we transitioned to cooking some of the proteins sous vide. And the executive chef of the hotel made me unplug the sous vide machine, hmm. made me unplug it. And I was like, chef, listen, okay, I understand, but here, just taste this. Just taste this and tell me it's not perfect. And I cooked them the perfect piece of steak. It was pink from edge to edge, perfectly seared, and it blew his mind. He was like, okay, I don't know what's going on here, but I like it. <laughs> and it was awesome. so funny because, you know, you fast forward, you know, five, you know, t now to 2020, 2021, I mean, sous vide is very common. You can get a circulator for less than 200 bucks. Yep. You know, you can get these food savers. You can get a whole kit ready to go less than 200 bucks and you're, you're up and running. And I think that's great because it, it really is a really good cooking technique. The only thing I will admit is that it gets tricky sometimes, especially now with like people uh, not wanting to use plastic and all that good stuff. So I hope they come up with a creative way to, you know, cook in a different uh, type of material. Yeah. And I understand the stigma too, because when I, when I first heard about it, we were going over to one of our friend's house and they had said they just got it. We're going to go over there and have steaks. I'm like, what is this? My wife explained it to him. I'm like, so we're going to go have boiled steak? Like, that just sounds exactly. awful. But then we go yep. there and we have it, and it's super juicy, cooked perfectly. I was like, oh, okay. Like, what's going yeah. on here? And then we ended up and, getting our own. I've been I've been trying it out. And, yeah, I mean, it's just it – it's like the juiciest steak I've ever made in my life every time I cook it in the soup. I know. So. I know. And, and you know what? You know what the best part about it is in a restaurant or when you're in a – you know, the most important thing in a restaurant is consistency, right? So you take the guesswork out of it, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have everything already bagged up, everything's, um, you know, cryovac, and then, you know, you're all you have to do is drop it in the bath, and you just have to finish it with the sear. You don't have to trust a cook to cook it medium or uh, medium rare perfectly. You know it's going to be there. And that, I think that is the key in a restaurant, is, is having that consistent product every single time. And... What's even more important is I think for the home cook is like, you know, if a lot of people buy, uh, you know, a 32 ounce or whatever it is, uh, a huge tomahawk or ribeye steak. And guess what? They don't know how to cook it properly, you know? And mm -hmm. that's why I highly suggest to either do the re reverse sear or cook it sous vide first and then finish with the sear. Because then you end up with a perfect product and you take the guesswork out of, you know, if you haven't cooked a lot of steaks, then it's going to be hard for you to kind of gauge on what temperature it is, you know? That's why I think it's a good idea yeah, for I the home I, cook. I need to borrow mats and play with that thing a little bit. Yeah. Right. We, we had like a, maybe a few weeks ago, or I, actually it's probably maybe more than a month or two ago, we, we came across a, a gentleman that did a brisket that he sous vide his brisket and cooked his brisket, <laughs> smoked it. He smoked it, so he says, or whatever. I don't think he really went all into details of how he did it, but uh, when, he, when he cut into the brisket, I mean, literally like he was cutting into a medium rare steak and, and he went on just talking about being the best brisket that he's ever had and his family's ever have and I, i'm just i'm having a hard time wrapping my head around how that brisket was not still tough you know what i mean i think he did it for 24 <laughs> yeah. hours if i'm not mistaken 24 hours okay or more yeah 48 hours might have been like 48 hours i think it was 48 hours Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, listen, I've done sous vide brisket too. The only thing I will argue is that you have to separate the two pieces. 
because here's the thing when you cook sous vide at such a low temperature you never render that fat it's never going to happen you need to be above you need to be above 160 170 degrees or at least 180 to render that fat and that's the only beef i have with cooking a brisket sous vide Okay, so, I love that. so, so I maybe if you do a flat, which not as much fat and connective tissue, yeah, be a little bit better. Like you'd have to do, yeah, yeah you'd have to definitely do the flat part. But I've I've done it sous vide. I, man, and I'm I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I've actually done it sous vide, like kind of mimicking barbecue. I was really I was I didn't want to do it, but I didn't have a smoker at the hotel I worked at, and they really wanted barbecue brisket, and it was just impossible for me to like, you know, come up with everything in 24 hours. So I just literally like mimicked a barbecue brisket and after i finished cooking it to eat I, I just wiped everything off and then created the crust and then oven roasted it and you know what it worked out pr- is much better than i thought that it was gonna that it was gonna happen and uh i wasn't i wasn't mad at all well let me ask you this and, and not to get too far on I me mean, i'm sure the listeners like all right let's talk about something else but um yeah th- as far as like cooking at that low of a temperature for that long of a of, of a period of time is there any risk of of bacteria or any any you know the food may be spoiling a little bit or, or is that something like in a um steak you're just searing it off and it gets cooked or it gets cooked up to a certain temperature and you don't have to worry about that anymore yeah you know what that's a great question and honestly yes there is a risk if you do it incorrectly but what um what i try to tell people is that, like here's here's a good example the time temperature danger zone is pretty much is a six hour range. Now I'm not saying to leave something out for six hours, but the time temperature danger zone is from 40 degrees all the way to uh, 135 degrees. So anything within that range, you pretty much have a six hour window. You just have to be really careful. So, so I know this is going to sound like German, but you have, once it hits 135, like, let's say like it has to be cooking right? It has to be at maintained at that temperature. If it drops any lower, then you're, you're pretty much in trouble. But I, especially with things with that are bone in. So I try to tell people, be careful with bone in, because if you're doing a big steak and let's say example, let's just use a tomahawk, for example, you can, you have to cook that steak within a four hour period or else you're going to run into trouble. So if it's less than four hours, you're good because you're obviously you're going to cook the tomahawk. They're probably like, you know, 115, 120 to a rare, and then you're going to want to sear it. But I would recommend to get everything done within that four hour period. After the four hours, that's when you start running into time temperature issues. You know, everything else is pretty, pretty straightforward. So like a good example is like chicken breast, salmon, um, you know, a small New York steak, anything that's under an hour, you have no issues, no issues whatsoever. Hmm. Okay. I I love it. You know, I, I I see all these things. And of course you you see all the information that floats all over the web and, whether it's true or not, or you got the, the, the regulations that are coming from, you know, the, the, the U S regulations as far as cooking certain meats to a certain temperature, like beef. I, I, I think I read somewhere and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, it's like uh, the, the meat has to be cooked over 155 degrees to kill off most bacteria. But yet yeah, when, when you, mean, when you go to I, restaurants this- or when we cook at home, we're always pulling it off like you know, 135, somewhere in that yeah. medium rare range for beef. And then yeah. chicken, uh, I, I don't know about restaurants as far as chicken goes. Um, I know every time I go eat chicken at restaurants, it always comes out nice and juicy and it, it's good. Yeah. I don't know. Are, are they doing something different or are they cooking to a, a, like a 160 or are they cooking to a lower temperature or are they cooking different chickens that they're able to do different stuff to? That was one of the questions I was going to ask you a little bit er, uh, later on. But I mean, while we're here talking about, temperature range on yeah. meats i mean 
you, you know, you know, literally like, you know, I, I can't stress this enough. And it's so funny because this is one thing, especially on TikTok. If you say cook your chicken till 145, people are going to freak out, right? Because you want the internal temperature to reach 165. But I'll be honest and here. Let me just give you an example with myself. I cook my chicken to like 145, 150, and then I let it carry over. But I like my chicken juicy. Now, my wife, on the other hand, it's got to be dry, like <laughs> bone dry. She she temps she temps it at one seventy five, and she is not budging. But now here's now here's the kicker. Like, let's say if I'm cooking for some somebody, right? I'm a professional chef, so I'm going to make sure that it's perfect. Perfect being, I'm going to pull it off the grill around one fifty five, one sixty, and then the thing is, is as it sits and rests, it will carry over about five to eight degrees in temperature. But I highly suggest, like, when you go to a restaurant, just let them take care of it. They are professionals. They will do it. If you're at your home, then don't take the risk. <laughs> like, don't take the risk. I tell people to pull it out when they feel comfortable. So whether it's 160 or 165, you will be safe. Because if you pull it out at 160, it's going to carry over to 165 for sure. For somebody like me, I know exactly, like, I'm, I've cooked so many chicken breasts. I know exactly when it's going to hit the perfect temperature. But I'm cooking it for myself. So it's different. But I think the way most restaurants do nowadays is they brine their chickens, right? And we have these things in the restaurant that are called combi ovens, where they're combination ovens, where you can cook the protein with a thermometer probe in it. So there's really little to no risk. You know exactly what temperature it is. I think, um, so as you're talking right now, my wheels are turning about our, our competition cooks that we do um, and have done for several years. And and to be honest, I'm always worried about turning in. I've also judged a, a bunch of competitions. Um, the worst thing you can do is turn in something that's still bloody or still red or pink. Okay. Pink, pink chicken does not do well in a in a competition. However, I'm like 100% sure that we are we're pulling our chicken about eight degrees too late, uh, maybe 10 degrees too late. Um, because I feel like, especially when we when we're saucing, cause like we're pulling we're pull, pulling our chicken usually around one sixty five, and that, that, uh -huh. that's that's a whole half chicken that we're cooking at one time, uh, and then, then we're usually saucing a little bit, then we're putting it back on on the grill for that sauce to set up, and at that point we're probably drying out, uh, that meat yes. probably drying out or whatever else. So we, if we're pulling it around one fifty, one fifty five. And then saucing, put it back on for ten minutes at two hundred and say two hundred seventy-five degrees. Uh, we're mm -hmm. probably be pretty close to that that one sixty, one sixty-four mark. And then it's probably gonna take us almost to one seventy. Even then, even at one seventy, probably gonna be dried out. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Well, it depends. Are you doing a, a a whole chicken or a half chicken with the bone in? Half chicken, bone in. Okay. Yeah. So so what what we would do, what I would do in that instance, like let's say if I'm in a restaurant, if I'm serving a judge, what I would do is I would hard cook that bird a little bit earlier. So an, like I would say it's finished an hour before I need to serve it, right? And I would pull it out at 140. Now, this is me. And then from there, let it come back down to room temperature. And then, you know, obviously 15 minutes before I'm ready to serve, I definitely blast it. I would go to a little higher temp. I'd probably be at like 300, 325. But what you want to do is make sure that that chicken, right before you're about to serve it, you're temping it and it's at 165 <laughs> and then right before you serve it, right? Because then, then you know it's ideal. And here's the thing. The only issue is, is when, when the judge, when, if you're getting it judged, as soon as that judge cuts into it, it's going to be like kind of juicy a little bit. So the idea is, is to put it on 
you have to gauge it because it really depends if it's like a three, three and a half pound bird or a four and a half pound bird. Um, you know, you have to gauge it, but I would only let the bird rest for like three to four minutes before you gave it to the judge. It's a common practice in restaurants where, you know, for me, especially if it's a half chicken, we pretty much fire them to order, right? Um, a lot of people don't wait, so we'll be like one or two ahead. But I think it's that game. And also you have to you have to know, like, I don't know how the judges are in most competitions, but a lot of people don't like pink chicken. Like, that's just the thing. So yeah. I don't think you're going to get too crazy judged on. I think it's better to, especially with poultry, to, you know, overcook it slightly than undercook it slightly. You know, I think, you know, because a lot, I trust me, even in restaurants, I would never serve pink chicken because then people just think that they're dying. <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> like, it's yeah, E. coli, like they, it's botulism, like, salmonella. Salmonella, yep. yeah, everything. Yeah, exactly. But I think it's a safe bet. Like if I were doing it for competition, I would definitely get that bird up to, you know, 140 degrees, which is pretty much like medium, right, where you still see some 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 pinkish. Then, you know, 20 to 30 minutes before I served it, that's when I would bring it back up to temp and make sure it's temped before I served it. Maybe gave it like two to three minutes to rest. But if the bone is in, you know, I think you run into a little, it's like, it has to be perfect. And if you're not like, that's the thing, it's kind of hard to like, try to pass those instructions off. I would want to do it myself first to see exactly where we land. But in all honesty, I mean, especially as a chef, like I personally like the bone in, but there's nothing you're going to do to mitigate that right by that thigh bone, it's always going to be just a touch pink, you know, right. like there's like, especially where that thigh, if you're leaving the backbone in where the spine is, where the, where the thigh bone and the uh, back connect, it's always going to be a touch pink. Yeah. And if you go any further then the breast overcooks, so right. it's kind of like that teeter tottle of, you know, perfection, to be honest. That's, that's why they do that. So they, they make us uh, turn in two halves um, of, of a chicken for the IBCA cooks and, uh, so we'll we'll definitely uh, cut the spine out, um, okay, and, and then cut it in half, and basically left with just two halves there, right? Well, we, we could spatchcock and then cut later, but we just don't want to mess with that, uh, to be honest. Um, yeah. But I, but this weekend, this last weekend, Memorial Day weekend, we had a cook off at one of the VFWs, the local here, and we our our bigger birds, we pulled them right at one sixty five. Uh, but but by uh -huh. the time they rested and by the time that they got um, sauced and put back on, um, I just don't think it was our best product. Now who knows? I mean, got we, we we got final table um, out there in that, uh, but mm -hmm. that's still like saying like the top top fifteen or top yeah. twenty, you know, was final table. Sure. So yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm just always kind of wondering like maybe we're pulling it too early. I'm, I'm sorry, too late. We're too late, yeah. You know, and then having well, it Well, you know what? It, it's definitely, it's definitely, like, honestly, it's definitely worth testing, uh, especially if you have the poundage of the bird, and then you could just time, you know, time it, like, pretend like you're going to serve it and really see, because here's the thing, it, like, the resting really matters, and also, like, making sure that where that bone is, you know, you, you kind of hit it with some direct heat, whereas the breast, you kind of keep away from the heat, but it's kind of like, you have to, like, go back and forth you're cooking it on the on an offset right offset smoker or is uh, it grill like so a green egg th that was like a grill like a like a weber, weber. or uh yeah okay it, it was a weber yeah so i mean i would yeah you know what that's a that's a good i might have to try that this weekend to see exactly because i know it would take me a couple tries but i'm pretty sure i can i could nail it we you know back in the restaurant that i worked at um quite a while back you know in a hotel that the chef 
was from France and he wanted to serve the chicken midwell. And I'm like, you're never going to get away with that in America, man. I'm sorry. It's never going to happen. And here we, here we go. We served a half chicken and it was the slightest pink. And it was seriously, I, I can't even believe we did it. But then like people started freaking out and it only took <laughs> about two people, two guests to be like, this chicken's undercooked. It's raw, you know? And uh, then he changed his perception, but we would literally time it perfectly. It was rotisserie chicken and we would like time it perfectly, but it just takes a little, you know, a little back and forth, a couple, couple tests, but I think you can nail it. No, no, definitely. Yeah. We're always, Hey, we're practicing every weekend. So I look forward to your oh, video, okay. by the way, uh, just get all the timetables down right, for me, right. you get, just, get yeah. the poundage. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you could go ahead and uh, do the brine as well. Actually, and if you <laughs> want to swing by the house on Saturday, yeah, right. if you just want to come by yeah. here and show me that, that'd be fantastic. Well, that, that, that raises two, two questions for me. Yeah. One, one. Okay. So the, the, you mentioned earlier about the, the heat coming from under, underneath. And the heat hitting the bone side, which leads me to yeah. believe, like maybe we need to start cooking on, maybe start cooking on something that uh, has a more kind of a direct heat underneath, but not Weber wise, where the, the heat source is so close, right? Because you run a risk of, I guess, overcooking it or, or cooking it too quick, I, I, burning it, burning yeah. it, burning it's a good good one, yeah. Um, and second yeah. is like, it, can, can you cook the chicken too fast? I mean. Is there, you know, you know, beef, you're okay, brisket, you know, low and slow or the hot and fast method. Uh, we've heard people, you know, if you cook it on like, say, a low and slow uh, uh, pit, the t- chicken's going to tend to dry out. I, I don't know. I mean, can you cook chicken too fast and it just not really retain that moisture? Um, you, you know what? That's a great question. And, I, and I'll be honest with you. I'm going to give away a trade secret here. So at the at Saison in San Francisco, the, the way we did it, which actually worked out really good, is we would get the color that we wanted over the embers, over the, you know, the red, like we would have a fan and we would literally fan the embers and they would be bright red and we would get the skin nice and crispy. And then we would flip it over and get it on a resting rack and we would put it into a 200 degree oven forever. It was about like, I would say literally like an hour and 15 minutes. And there would only be like... You know, I would say maybe a tablespoon of liquid in the bottom where the chef really believed that if you did it low and slow, like barbecue, that all the juice would stay inside the chicken. And I'll tell you what, it was really moist and delicious. And but mm. the only thing is, is like, you know, it takes forever. Right. So you have a chicken <laughs> that is like, you know, where it could be literally only 20 minutes to cook. And this process just took too, took too long, but it was super delicious. So I, I think cooking it too high and too fast would would be an issue i think you have to find that you know that middle ground you know i don't what type of breed of chicken are you using well and that's a another question <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> i have all these questions stored up um honestly we're, i mean we're going to our, our local grocery store our local okay uh sometimes we're, we're able to source um pilgrim's the, farm what's that it's just pilgrim's farm Pilgrim. <laughs> pilgrim's <laughs> farm. <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah, just the fosters. What is it, foster? But hey, listen, there's nothing wrong with those chickens because they honestly, the feed that they feed them makes them nice and fat and delicious. But I would highly suggest go um, sourcing out. Um, actually, here in California, there's a couple of chicken farmers. There's three that I really enjoy. One of them is going to be Mary's Mary's Chicken here in Northern California. They do a really good job, but they're starting to get commercialized. But one of my favorites is called Pasture Bird, and you can you can get them online. The only thing is the online ones come frozen. But in all honesty, if you're just testing, it's totally fine. And then there's a third one is Jidori, Jidori chicken. Jidori chicken is by far probably the top of the list for um, consistency. 
Nice. I've actually heard of Jidori. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So so Jidori, you know, I wouldn't even worry about the organic one. It's the same. Literally, it's the same pin. It's not even. But it's but I, it's highly worth it to you know go with a um you know a breed that's juicy. So those top three, I'm t- I can even send you the link. But I, I would highly recommend one of you know one of those. Yeah, no, I definitely would would appreciate that. Uh, shoot shoot that over to us. Uh, I definitely I will. Love, to, I will. love to check it out. I did see you do a video with a black chicken. It, yeah, you I, saw that the silky the silky chicken. What, okay, oh, man, explain to the people what that is because that thing is weird. <laughs> yeah, it is super weird, super weird. So the silky chicken, believe it or not, is basically a chicken, and like if you look at this thing, it's, it's feathers. It's crazy. It's like. It's almost like ostrich feathers on a chicken, but they're all white. And the skin is black. The meat is kind of like grayish, but it's really highly prized in uh, like in, in Asian culture. And they use it for like soups, stews, and sauces at, for medicinal purposes. But the reason why I wanted to do it is because I've never, I've only worked with it once. And I thought it'd be really cool, but I got to be honest, the people of TikTok were freaked out by it. And it's, <laughs> okay. But it's good. I think that's a good thing. I thought it was, I thought it might've gone viral, but. It's totally fine. No, it didn't really do that well, and I'm kind of glad. But honestly, I, I as a chef, I'm always curious, and I always like to get new ingredients. And the thing about this bird is it has a deeper, richer chicken flavor, but it's super lean. So a good example is I would not take that bird and roast it in the oven. I would not take that bird and grill it over the uh, grill. I think the way I prepared it really highlighted it. So I, can comp- I would compare it to like – um, cooking like a game bird, like quail or squab, I would not like cook it like regular chicken. But the flavor was really good. The skin was weird. The skin was so weird. But um, I, I crisped it up really nice. That the night it was really good. But the second day, ooh, it was weird. It was like chewing on uh, <laughs> like. I think the thing that got me was that just the color was like yeah. okay, this is awkward. So, <laughs> but other than that, I mean, the chicken was really good. It's just really weird for people to see that because nobody really sees a black chicken. Right, right. That yeah. is super. That is, yeah, I gotta check crazy. these out. I've not seen the video to this, so I need to check this out. Yeah, I need to see that. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna order one. Really cool. the <laughs> eyeballs are black, right? Am I mistaken? The eyeballs are the chicken are black. I mean, it, dude, it, everything's black. Yeah. Everything's black. Blackish purple, and, and it's. And I got a full video on YouTube about it, and I think it's great. I, I've had I had a lot of like, I like to use ingredients that people never seen, and I think I think um, you know, the whole whole purpose of that was taking something that looks really gross and like halloween and making it into a michelin level style dish and uh yeah i thought it was i thought it was great but i have a full video on youtube on that and if you ever get a chance to try it try it it's, it's actually pretty good the meat is actually really good it's just really lean that's the only thing so i didn't get to see the video how exactly you said you didn't cook it over a fire how exactly did you cook it? no so basically what i did is i did an old school technique it's called a ballantina and all all you're doing is you're taking the breast and the thighs everything boneless you literally undress the bird like with the skin so i made a slit down the spine and then carefully got a knife in there and literally took off all the skin and then i'm trimming off all the extra fat and then what i do is i put the meat back in there and then i use a um a thing called transglutamase which is basically like a, it's considered like a meat glue it binds proteins together and i layer that in between the breast and the thigh and then i roll it up so i roll the meat around um, inside the skin and then i cooked it sous vide for about 60 minutes at 149 degrees and then from there oh i'm sorry i seasoned it with a, a curry spice which was like uh, it's called vaduvan 
and it's basically like a, a really deep, rich curry spice. And I, I used that because it really played well with the gaminess of the chicken. It wasn't really gamey. It just had a really um, a stronger chickeny flavor. And um, so that's what I seasoned it with. And then I just um, cooked it, let it rest, and then seared it on the outside. So it's 100% boneless. I made a sauce from the bones, and it came out really good. I really enjoyed it, but it's freaky to look at. <laughs> it sounds amazing, guys. Uh- Honestly, yeah. some of that was over my head, but uh, it sounds yeah, amazing, uh, and I'm definitely going to check out the video. We're getting to that part of the uh, the podcast where I ask you the question about barbecue fails or cooking fails. I know everybody's got one. Do you have one you okay. can share? Yeah, definitely. More than I'd like to talk about, but I'll give you a good one. <laughs> so, so this one was actually um, when I was working in Los Angeles at Hotel Bel Air, and I was really tired, and um, you know, with big banquets that people are spending – thousands of dollars on and it was a wedding and uh we're plating up the entree and i butchered the beef tenderloin and i thought i got the right count but i ended up not getting uh not having enough and so basically what happened is they ordered so i'm just going to use a number they were let's say there was 100 people usually 60 order beef and then you know 50 order or 40 will order fish and then a few people order chicken well this party ordered 80 fillets and i only had enough for like 60 people and mm-hmm. so it was such a fail for me because, um, you know, basically we are plating up and and the cook is like, chef, I don't have enough fillets. And I was like, and I, I was the one who counted them because I was like, hey, but I totally missed. I, I totally missed it. And I'll tell you what is so embarrassing where everybody's looking at me and they're like looking at me for leadership. And I was like, OK, guess what? These two tables, we're going to slice it. And then so basically I'm slicing tenderloin. The banquet manager is freaking out, and I just I just admitted. I said, listen, I didn't count correctly. I do not have enough filet mignons. And, like, she was like, okay. And then the last two tables got sliced filet mignon. So they ended up getting, like, a four-and-a-half-ounce four piece opposed to an eight-ounce filet. But it was one of the most embarrassing moments of my career, <laughs> and it was a complete fail on my end. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, fail on your end, but bonus uh, on that table they got the uh, the filet mignon right i mean yeah they if, got they got the whole piece because it's easier for banquets to like serve a whole just a whole piece eight ounce but for the last two they got the slice they got the slice they action got, yeah they got half and um, oh they got a half yeah <laughs> yeah yeah they got they got pretty much like a half they got like a four and a half ounce uh portion so basically i took two and a half fillets and made three three to four portions out of it mm. which mm. i felt horrible but at oh, the yeah. same time I didn't even have any more filet in the restaurant. It wasn't going to happen. It wasn't like somebody could just run to the store and grab. We used prime filet. So, but it was very embarrassing, and nobody ever let me live it down until I left. <laughs> did uh, nice. did any of the guests notice? Nobody even batted an eye. Of Some course. people didn't I even. They didn't even. Nobody didn't even matter. And it's and that's the only reason. That's the only thing that saved my ass. To be honest with you, right? Um, well, the bank the banco manager was like, "Chef, we're okay. It's fine." But she was freaking out, and I'm like, "Listen, I'm sorry. There, what do you? What else do you want me to tell you?" Like, and it was just, it's not going to happen because yeah, yeah, I, I love it. And, um, so then the next party that came up, she was like, Oh, do you have enough filet this time? And I'm like, okay, okay. You got I deserve that. Yeah. It's fine. But yeah, that was a huge fail on my end. Uh, that's awesome. But I owned up to it. Nice. Nice. I love that. All right, uh, Chef yeah. Dearden, hey, we, we appreciate you coming on here. And I feel like we can sit yeah, there no and problem. we can go on for another another hour or two. We would love to have yeah. you back on uh, whenever you had the opportunity. Sure. Yes, this Jen. This went by quick. Hey, Diego, by really quick. Um, 
Yeah. Was there something? Do we get into what he was? Uh, there's something you're working on with your twin? Well, we're gonna. Yeah, we're gonna ask oh. about what's going on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, okay. James. Okay. James okay. I cut okay. James off. We're, we're, not, we're not done. Done. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're no. I was gonna Give open up chance, the last no, last uh, last <laughs> few minutes Second, and okay. uh, just let uh, Chef run with it. With okay. uh, but definitely appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come uh, um, shoot the shit with us. Uh, yeah, we, we wish you the I, best and uh definitely uh um what do you have in the works for in, in the future right now and i'm just gonna step aside so, and just let you yeah. go at it sure yeah you know what I, i'm happy to talk about it so basically uh i have a twin brother who uh is also a chef believe it or not he is on the east coast i am on the west coast and he lost his job during the pandemic and um it really was a hard hit because he had just relocated and literally went you know from making a really cushy salary to absolutely nothing. And um, it pushed us in a direction where I was like, okay, I think now's the time. Well, we don't have enough capital to open up a full brick and mortar restaurant. So we got creative and we decided to start with a cloud kitchen. And basically this is a kitchen that's delivery only and you can run multiple concepts out of it. The startup is very low. It's you know less than 25K. So I, we scrounged up enough money and made it happen. So basically we have a location in Philly and it's our, I'm going to say it's our brainchild. It's our, uh, we're trying to get formula down correctly so we can copycat it. And yeah, so we have a cloud kitchen. There's about seven concepts in it in Philly and um, we're just growing it ever so slowly. It's not even like, it's kind of like a side hustle for right now. We're not making money, but we're not losing money. And I think what's really important is for the future is try to develop, um, you know, a system that is sustainable without us inside, right? So um, I think the key is, is you know, with restaurants nowadays, it's just so expensive. And to open a restaurant, you're, you're, the profit margin is so, so small. And I've opened it. I've, I've ran enough restaurants for people to know that. So, <laughs> so we're just trying to be strategic. But at some point, we're going to come together and uh, watch this dream flourish. But for right now, Basically, I'm just focused on my job, what I'm doing right now, working for a high profile um, client here in Los Altos Hills, and then um, working simultaneously on my personal brand, as well as assisting my brother with the cloud kitchens. I, I, I wanted to ask, I know John was going to chime in, maybe I can ask his question or not. Um, I don't understand what a cloud kitchen is. I was going to say, like, okay. what exactly uh, yeah. is that? Yeah. So this is great. I'm so glad you asked that because honestly, it's... People freak out when they hear about it, but basically it's like a ghost kitchen. So it's really popular in Los Angeles, really popular here in San Francisco. And um, basically what it is, it's a building, right? Think of an apartment building. And instead of apartments, there's all kitchens. So you have a 2,500 square foot, I'm sorry, I would say a 400 to 500 square foot space where there's a range, there's a fryer, there's a prep space, and you are running a concept that's delivery only. So uber eats postmates they all come to that one apartment building and they pick up they can pick up multiple orders just one order but it's basically like a central kitchen and people get freaked out because they're like oh my god i don't know about what about the health department and all that good stuff well guess what the health department's even more rigorous with the cloud kitchen than a regular brick and mortar and so the the benefit about this is there's no overhead costs right you're basically just paying to lease the apartment or the kitchen and the landlord takes care of everything else. So the deliveries, the maintenance, um, the whole, but, but what you invest in is the tech. So the tech of the third party delivery apps is they all, it's all orchestrated through this one uh, basically section in this building. And it's pretty amazing. And, and basically you cook, 
you cook the items, you put it on a rack outside, then it goes to the window where the uh, delivery driver picks it up. And I think the, the best part about it is you can run multiple concepts out of one kitchen. So here's a good example for that. We have a fried chicken concept. We have a dumpling concept. We have a breakfast concept all under one roof. Think about this. If you're just Applebee's, then you have to stick with Applebee's, right? You can't, you can't break off and go Tex-Mex. Well, under this, under this, uh, under the cloud kitchens, you know, you can run multiple concepts, which is great because if one doesn't work, you can literally shut it down and start another one in less than 24 hours. That's how good the tech is. And so that's pretty much what a cloud kitchen is. Um, if you have an opportunity, just, you can just Google cloud kitchens and it'll pull you up on their website. There's ones it's sprouting everywhere, but it's kind of like what Uber was three years ago. You know what I'm saying? Not, not, not many people knew about it. You know, Uber's like, what? A per- person driving their car, they drive you places. It's an app. Oh my God. What is that? We all thought it was ridiculous. And now it like runs the world. But, um, that's ideally in a nutshell, what cloud kitchen is. That's, that's freaking genius is what that is. Yeah. You know what it really is. And I mean, I, it's so funny. It's, uh, you know, the person that started Uber is one of the main investors. And believe it or not, Cloud Kitchen is making the money with the real estate. They're not making the money off of the kitchens. So they basically, they buy, um, you know, they buy up these big buildings and they just build the kitchens out. And it's, it's actually pretty cool. The only thing is, is it's going to take a few, I would say, probably like another six months to a year for t- people to start familiarizing with the actual concepts. But if you're ordering something off Uber Eats or Postmates, I guaranteed... 20% of, um, you know, the restaurants on that app, you know, are a ghost kitchen. Wow. That's how you get, and that's how you get your food a lot faster. That's crazy. So, yeah. That's nice. Idea, I don't know. My wheels are turning right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just turning. I'm just like, how, what is, how can we get our smoker into an apartment? Right. How do we do that? How do we do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, it's still, I've already tried to work that out, but like I would go, I really like the, um, at Saison, I use the J- JR smoker, JNR smoker. Those yeah. things are mm-hmm. amazing. Yep. Amazing. Yep. But but here in here in California, you have to have a special air circulation system for that. If you want to have it in a restaurant, it's crazy. It's like it's like a quarter of a million dollars Jeez for the, if you want to burn solid wood in a restaurant. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Out here in Texas, they're just like crack a window. Crack a window, brother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hope yeah, you're okay. Yeah, right. We'll check on you tomorrow. <laughs> that's why everybody that's why everybody's going there. Shoot. I know. <laughs> so a joke. Uh, that's yeah. funny. It's funny. It's really funny. All right. Hey, Chef. Hey, thank you for being, being on the show. Uh, please let the listeners know where they can get a hold of you. Um, Absolutely. Uh, so so I am Chef at Chef Authorized on TikTok and then at BD Chef on Instagram. Feel free to follow, reach out. I post uh, videos pretty much daily on TikTok and Instagram and then twice a week on YouTube. YouTube is just uh, BD Chef. Okay. BD Chef. Okay. Uh, we'll definitely uh, definitely going to reach out to you and see if you can get back on because I definitely have a million more questions yeah, when it comes to yeah, like uh, pork and beef yeah, and, right? and all I mean, that stuff. Yes. It's so it's so valuable. I have a head full of knowledge from over the 15 years and, and I didn't realize how, how much people valued my opinion on certain things, especially when it has to do with food, you know? Absolutely. So I'm happy to come back. Just reach out to me and we'll, we'll, uh, you, you guys have my cell phone number now. So feel free to reach out anytime. And yeah. I'll ask about the barbecue questions. How about Absolutely. that? Thank you, yes, sir. Thank, yes, you. sir. <laughs> Thank you, chef. Appreciate it, chef. <laughs> Appreciate All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Right. Have a good night. Okay. You too. Bye. All right. What, what a great interview. Dude, that went by so fast. Like I looked down, I was like, "Oh, we're like eleven minutes in." It's like, 
I try to keep an eye on how, how long we're talking. I look down again, like 55 minutes. I'm like, what the hell just happened? Yeah, right. like, we time just warp. zoomed through it. This is time warp. There's so many more questions. I, I, I love all the information about the, the chicken and stuff. I wish I could have got to other questions that I had, but uh, we'll, we'll definitely have him back on and um, ask him those questions. I love some of the, the – about cooking the chicken and – it's always we discussed this a little bit. You know, we're all into competition ch- cooking and, and backyard grilling cooking as well, and we know how to cook chicken and when we're supposed to pull chicken off. But I mean, pulling chicken off at one forty, forty, one fifty. Never heard of it. Uh, I'm gonna try it. If uh, I die, you'll know. Why. Well, you don't eat it right then. <laughs> you you right. cook it again yeah. after that. He like well, it no, he down. said he said that he he does his. He, he did two ways. One, yeah. he's like pulling off at one forty, right, and, and let his it sit wife, for a while. Goes, yeah. And then the other one, he's and, like and refiring it, pulling off at like one fifty. No, right. his li- he, he said his wife likes it like two twenty five. I think no one one seventy five. I think that's what I heard. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's almost like, I was like well, I was, Amy. I mean, she loves her chicken just sawdust. <laughs> <laughs> she wants to see it crumble. Yeah, if you're cutting and it's crumbling. Yeah. She wants it to dissolve in her mouth. Yep, <laughs> soak up all the moisture she has in her mouth. It's like you put a saltine cracker in your mouth. It's right. like, yep, yeah. that's it. It's so cool. Mm, chicken's chicken's moist. Uh, yeah, no, appreciate he, it, Chef Durden. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Alden, I know it's late in the business. There's, I can't even do it right now. Okay, don't even ask. All right. Well, uh, um, so yeah, if you want to find any more information on us, head to crabthebrisket.com, and you'll find links to all of our social medias, and our swag, and whatever else this is my first time giving the business on this thing How it's I so do? weird i don't like it i don't i feel really I weird like it. it's I like very it. short I, I like it you're not alden yeah. <laughs> just go to grow what's up my dudes <laughs> there you go let's start, start doing when's the last time i said that last week the damn it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. here for that? alden does it way better than you do okay like, well he that? didn't want to do it so yeah. okay. i was jumping in that's yeah, right. definitely t- check out Chef and check out us. I mean, we, we got the uh, the, the podcast uh, uh, spitting out two times a week. Um, we have, we have the, the TikTok trying. going on with a lot of the videos and content. And uh, we just did a uh, competition cook-off not too long ago. So we'll get that into the next episode. So yeah. stay tuned. And check out our Patreon. Mm-hmm. It's great talking it. barbecue with you guys. Peace. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. We've been great. Dang it, Bobby. Just grab the brisket. Right, we would like to give a special thanks to Fogo Premium Hardwood Lump Charcoal, Bonner's Fiesta Spices, Coolie Nation Custom Koozies, Cambro Manufacturing, Yeti Cooler, the Smoke Sheep Barbecue Newsletter, and Texas Brew Hopper. We appreciate their support. Y'all guys go check them out.